You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Benji Chang, and I'm back for now. <laughs> for the end of the year episode and I missed you guys so much. Oh my god, I I actually don't even I did not look back. And I don't know how long it's been since the last episode. But oh my god, I'm here and I wanted to say hi to all of you guys and send you big hugs and do a little update to close out 2023. What what in the world happened to this year? It beats me because I don't I don't understand how we're like days away from 2024. It my flabber is gasted. That's all I I can say. It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. So lots of things have happened. I think the last episode maybe was in the summer. <laughs> I should know this, but anywho's it's I just want to check in on you guys and see how you're doing. Um. Granted, I know that this is not a two-way conversation and it's me talking to a microphone and clearly I'm here just by myself. But I just want to say, first of all, thank you. Thank you guys so much. So many of you who listen to the show and have remained so supportive over the days, weeks, months, and many years of of my journey um, are aware that a lot of kind of crazy things happened and have been really understanding of my my absence and uh, really patient and supportive through all of it. So I just need to say thank you right at the very top and send all my love to you guys because, um, yeah, it has been one of the craziest years. And I've had many crazy years, guys, but I think objectively, empirically, it's been a pretty insane year, good and bad, um, which is how... I don't know. This it just everything sped by so fast because there's so much life that was happening. But um, yeah, it, let's start with the good, and we'll we'll include bad. I don't know. We'll interweave it. But I, I think I shared it. This is just awful. Sorry, my my I I've turned into Dory lately. Like it's kind of embarrassing and it's a little tragic. But I will get my memory back. But I think I shared with all of you guys that I am songbird. In Cyberpunk 2077, Phantom Liberty. Um, that was a thing that was announced and that came out. And um, the game, the expansion, it was an expansion of an existing game uh, created by CDPR. Um, that came out in September. And yeah, that that announcement sharing it with the world was, was insane because it was like a secret that I had to keep for a really long time and I'm not the best at keeping those. So yeah, that was really crazy. And the amount of love and support that came in has been wild. Um, yeah, if you guys play it, if you're into gaming, which I'm, I have not been and truthfully, I, I have not played the game. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's one of the most well-developed, well-designed, well-written, and well-created games I've personally ever witnessed. Granted, like, take that with a grain of salt because I haven't, you know, played many games, but I'm a consumer in the world. I I, I know good storytelling. I'm a filmmaker. I'm an actor. Um, 
it was just so intricate and, and complex and layered. And the storyline was wild, like so wild that I couldn't keep up. That's that's a BTS tidbit. I'll tell you guys straight up. I I went into this game, A, not knowing what the game was when I took the role. Um, I didn't know how big of a role it was. I didn't know that my character, Songbird, Somi, um, was like the driving force and her her journey, her narrative was like the centerpiece of the entire expansion. Didn't know that. Maybe they explained it to me. I, I'm not blaming the game or like I might be misspeaking because they might have explained all this to me and it just didn't register because that's how much I don't understand or know anything about the cyberpunk universe or how games work. Um, or that I was playing opposite Aegis Elba. That was a surprise that I found out many sessions into recording for this character. So yeah, I um, it was all one of the biggest surprises of my life. And like many things in my life, I took kind of blindly, but on a hunch, on like a gut instinct, like I think this could be really cool if I took it and taking a risk when I was like resistant and busy creating, you know, my first short film last year. And there's a lot of things happening at once where I was really close to just turning the role down. And I said yes, last minute. So that was a really incredible journey and just like the surprise of a lifetime. Just imagine like I really stepped into this not knowing, okay, I'm gonna have like five lines, maybe 10 lines, maybe even 20 lines. But no, I found out, no, you're going to be one of the main characters for this whole thing. And you are top billing with Keanu Reeves and Idris Elba. Like, call, call, color me surprised. Wasn't expecting that. So uh, the story that I, I'm really annoyed. I really wanted to make this, this whole TikTok thing. Um, but when the game came out, I actually, the week that it came out, I came down with COVID for the very first time. And y'all know me, like if you've been listening at any point in the last four years, guys, we're almost at four years since the COVID pandemic started, which is insane. Um, in almost four years, I never got it. And yeah, as fate would have it, the week that the game was released and it went live and everybody was experiencing it. And I had all these like grandiose plans of, oh, I want to try playing the game. I want to put stuff on TikTok and go on Twitch and do all this stuff. None of it happened because I became a dead person. I was, it knocked me on my ass, you guys. It was so bad. And I heard, you know, rumors that once you get COVID the first time, it can be pretty brutal. Not everybody, but most people. And yeah, it was no exception. It, I hated it. It was the worst thing ever. And um, yeah, that kind of sideswiped all the all the plans to get content out there or to like engage with fans and everything. Like I had interviews lined up, uh, one with IGN, which I didn't even understand. Like, yeah, they have like 350 million visitors a month. I just... All these things were like brand new information. All those really exciting things were like lined up and they just got bulldozed because of the illness. Um, so yeah, that kind of like changed everything. But there was this story about how I how I discovered like how all the dots connected in terms of like and then how you know, I frame it, which is like I manifested this role. So there's a funny story behind that 
which I've shared in a few interviews, but just in case you're not like following game interviews and this is the only space in which you interact with me, I wanted to share it here because it's really fun. Um, So if you guys remember back in 2021, I shared that I went to Paris. I'm pretty sure I shared I went to Paris. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, I went to Paris. It was right when I think Europe had reopened for travel at the time. And, you know, we were allowed to go with testing and, you know, filling out all the the necessary paperwork. And it was like still a pretty strict time. It was 2021, end of 2021. So I decided to go. And um, Paris is one of my favorite places on earth. Truly, like in my life, like top three. And I just really wanted to go be in its glory again. And at the time, I was going to be in my friend Marion's wedding Marion the Barbarian, my my lovely friend from collaboration, been friends with her over 10 years, been through heaps of life together with her. And she asked me to be her bridesmaid for her incredible, like grandiose, like just incredible wedding that was taking place in October. And my parents are here too. So I decided to, you know, I was going to, for those of you who don't know, Atlanta is actually one of the biggest, I think it's the most traveled through airport in the United States. It's like a hub and a gazillion flights and like it's just a really easy airport and giant airport to fly out of so I was like okay if I'm going to be there for her wedding then afterwards I'm going to just hop over to the to Europe because I'm actually on the east coast so I'm closer so that was the plan I booked a ticket for like a couple days after her wedding was over and I was going to fly out Um, on my own I was going to go brood and write and um, revisit for those of you who follow along with my story, I, I went through some really um, crazy big moments in my life out in Paris when I was 19. And it's always just this place of solace for me and contemplation. And I want, and I'm writing about it. So I wanted to go, you know, write and just be there and, and continue to heal and all that stuff. So that was the plan. So October rolls around and prior to her wedding, Marion hits me up and we're just chatting away about all the bridesmaid stuff. This girl made me do a K-pop dance for her wedding. I still love slash hate her for that because no, it was an absolutely not for me. But then me being the good friend and people pleaser that I was, I said, yes, I'm a good friend, guys. I was not going to ever really like say no, even though I genuinely was like, no, I'm not a strong choreo dancer. Okay. It's not my strong suit. So we're chatting about all the plans, the dresses, the the hoopla that is her wedding because she's she is Marion the Barbarian. Um, and I shared my plans with her. I was like, oh well, after your wedding, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave Atlanta. I'm gonna go to Paris. So she, in that moment, instantaneously decides, I'm gonna go with you. And if you have ever met this woman, there's people that listen to this podcast who do know Marion. When she says something like that, she is the person who's not joking. Like she says something like that, I 80% knew that she meant it. Like most people are like, oh, that's funny. I was like, no, Marion's going to actually, oh my God, she's going to come with me to Paris. She turns around while we're on FaceTime and she turns around to her fiance says, I'm going to go to Paris with Minji because they couldn't do a honeymoon because he was busy working to pay off this crazy wedding. Um, And he just immediately goes like, okay, sure. So that was that. And she decided to come with me to Paris. So now all these things, like within days, like hours, literally less than two days, she's booking her flight. It's happening. 
Um, we're arranging all the plans to like get an Airbnb together. So now my my plans to go on this solo brooding artist trip are changing rapidly. And I'm really excited because she's a great friend. She's super fun. And I was like, this is going to be different, but let's go for it. So she joins me. The wedding is a success. I stumbled my way through the K-pop dance. I wasn't the gigantic embarrassment that I expected to be. Also, no one's paying attention to me. It's all about the bride. Let that be a note to everybody who's in a wedding. It's not about you. It's about the bride and groom. Okay? Um, So I'm glad I did that. And uh, we survived. And days later, like, I think like a day or two later, we're... (laughs) trying to find her vaccine card because she couldn't find it. And um, yeah, we're just getting our butts off to Paris. So we go. um, During the day, I'm doing my writer thing. I'm walking around all my favorite parts of Paris by myself. This girl's like sleeping in, recovering from her own wedding. And um, she went all out. So she was getting up in the afternoon. We'd meet up. And it was just such a fun trip. So we're definitely experiencing something very different than I planned. And of course, I'm a pretty... If I'm with someone I love and I, you know, have fun with, I'm easygoing. I'm not hellbent on like, we have to go here. We have to go here. She, on the other hand, really wanted to do certain things. Um, And because it wasn't my first time, nor was it my last time, I was like, absolutely, let's do it. So this girl on one of her last nights, I think it's like second to last night or maybe her last night, wants to go to the soccer cur at like midnight. Soccer cur is in Montmartre. Montmartre is... The 18th district of Paris, it's where the windmills are. It's where Moulin Rouge exists. It is an incredibly beautiful, artistic, um, beloved part of Paris, okay? It's also a huge tourist trap. And I know that. And I say, I'm not going to Momar. I'm not going to the soccer car at midnight on a Saturday night. You're out of your mind. Like, there's articles about how that area gets sketchy because you get a bunch of drunk tourists and teenagers and people being ratchet. And I did not care to go there at midnight on Saturday. So I said no. And then her being her, she did not accept my no. And she said, no, we're going. So we go back and forth. I know at the end she's going to win. So I said, okay, fine. Let's go to soccer car. It'll, it'll be great. It'll be an adventure. Um, God, I'm so easily influenced. It's just making me realize. I need to stand my ground more. So we go to soccer car. We get there. It's just before midnight. I'm a little bit like, meh, open to adventure, but meh. And we get there. And as soon as we arrive, we like are going up the steps and approaching this giant, beautiful cathedral. It's my favorite church in Paris. And we get there and there's a huge crane, a movie crane. There is a movie set at the soccer cur at midnight in Paris on a Saturday night. And as soon as I see that, I'm freaking out because I'm so happy. Now now we're talking, okay? Now we're like speaking Minji language. Now it is fun. It wasn't not fun, but you know, it just went up like 80 levels. So I'm giddy as all hell. And I was like, oh my God, they're filming a movie here. And she's excited too. And we're just like roaming around. Both of us can be busybodies and we're nosy. So we're not just gonna, you know, passively observe. We're gonna, we're gonna find stuff out. <laughs> so... We decide to go on a gondola. There's a gondola at the base of the church. It goes down adjacent to this really famous staircase. And we're in the gondola. And I am, my investigating process is to look out the window and see like what info I can gather. 
Um, probably not the best strategy, but that's what I wanted to do while we're in this gondola. Marion, on the other hand, super social, super um, just unabashed person. She just starts talking to people in the gondola and she's like, who, what is this? What's going on? I'm not really paying attention to her. I'm trying to see what's going on out there. I look through the glass and we're going down next to the staircase and I see people on the staircase huddled around this one person and they're doing this person's makeup. And I'm just looking, staring at this person's back. It's a man. And can't see their face, but I immediately just blurted out. I was like, I laughed and I was like, oh my God, that looks like Keanu Reeves. And immediately I was like, there's no way that's Keanu Reeves. What am I saying? I'm ridiculous. We're in Paris. Isn't like, what did, what would Keanu Reeves be doing here? Which in retrospect, there's tons of reasons why someone like Keanu Reeves would be in Paris at midnight on Saturday. But that was my reasoning. I just said I was ridiculous and like kept it moving. Shortly thereafter, we arrive at the bottom of the gondola. We get out and Marion has made friends with the people in there. And she turns around and she says to me, Minji, this is the set of John Wick 4. And I was like, shut the hell up. Oh my God. I freaked out like screaming, jumping. I was like, I was right. I was right. I knew it was Keanu. And I don't know how I knew it was Keanu, but I knew it was Keanu. And um, yeah, we made friends with Keanu's uh, stunt. They're like stunt people and there's his armor. His They're just so kind. They're really friendly, very easygoing and just telling us, you know, yeah, we're shooting John Wick 4. And flipping out because I'm feet away from Keanu Reeves. Um, and I just think he's just one of the, most wonderful people. He's an interesting, he's an enigma. Um, I can't say I've liked his acting in every single thing he's done, but I don't care. I still think he's wonderful and I'm super stoked that I'm in like, I'm within feet of him, you guys. Um, so that night ended up just being, I mean, hats off to Mary and I will thank her forever because if it wasn't for her, I would have been in bed, probably like eating chocolate and like, maybe scrolling on Instagram or TikTok and going to bed. It would have been a really boring night. But instead, we got to be nosy and like check out the set of John Wick 4 that they're filming in Paris. So that was incredibly cool. That night, she took a photo of me um, and have my mask on. I'm wearing like all black. And I posted this on Instagram. It's still there if you guys want to check it out. But it's from 2021, October. And I wrote a post saying, like, I'm ready to play Keanu Reeves' loudmouth, funny sister, you know, who can, like, dismantle a mofo or something like that. And and I meant it, but I was also joking. But I meant it. But I was joking. But I meant it. And then so I posted that on Instagram. And that happened. And that was, like, a crazy moment. Now, fast forward a few months, this is October 2021, fast forward a few months, I did a, an audition for uh, Project Microphone. It's just an obscure name. That's how these projects get named because they're not going to tell you what it is. They're not going to tell you who's attached. They're just going to say, hey, here's a video game. Give us your best shot. Here's a script. So I do an audition. I don't even know when. Maybe it's like January, February. I do my audition like I do many, many other ones. I turned it in, did my best job, and forgot about it, as one does with most of these auditions. You can't get too hung up on any of these. I, that's like the recommended process. And I had a lot going on at that time because I was getting in full pre-production mode for my first short film. So um, doing my job, doing my voiceover thing, sent it in. March rolls around. 
and I get called in for a callback um, over in Marina Del Rey. And I drive out. It's in person, heavily masked. We're still doing the whole, you know, COVID protocol. Um, meet with two folks, two guys on Zoom, and it goes great. And they're like giving me high praise. They're just saying words like, oh my gosh, that's so perfect. Wow. That's just, it's perfect. It's perfect. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling great about my callback. Still don't know what the project is. I haven't bothered asking because I know they're not going to tell me anyways. I just show up and do my job. I get my first hint because I'm the, I confirmed there that the character that I'm auditioning for is Korean American, which I was like, that's, that's sick. That's so dope. I love it. I've been working on representation of Asian Americans for almost 15 years now. That's amazing. I'm all for it. Count me in. Callback goes great. That's in March. I leave. Forget about it again. Again, it goes into obscurity. It's filed way back in the brain, if at all. And I move on with my life. I'm in full pre-production mode for my short film, putting a lot of my own money into this and going balls to the walls, just including my friends, um, everything, locations, COVID testing, SAG after rules, pensions, like payroll doing, I went all out on this. So I'm thoroughly consumed in it. Very busy, very distracted, not distracted, but just focused. And I get word at the end of May, beginning of June, like you booked project microphone. Oh my God. And I was like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, So yeah, that happened. And because I was so busy with my short film and that was such a high priority, I actually was really ready to turn it down. I was like, I don't have time to do a video game right now. What are you talking about? I I have a film to make. I have art I'm creating. So almost turned it down. Um, and, but then last minute had a reckoning with myself as Minji does. I asked myself a series of questions of like, did you come here to act? I know that you're filmmaking good on you, but are you like, you're getting offered this role. It seems like it might be substantial. It's for a video game. You, you're going to join SAC because of it. Like, are you going to turn it down? Cause I thought we came here to play. I thought we were here to act now in addition to filmmaking, because I've been putting it on the back burner for years. So um, never done a video game before. I've never done even like a full-fledged character. I did like an elephant dentist in some kids animation that I don't think ever got made. So anyways, this is like a big deal. And last minute, like down to the wire, gut decision, I said yes. Still don't know what the project is. Still don't know how big big my role is, but I'm in. I'm scared, y'all. Like truthfully... I've been sharing this like openly on these gaming interviews, but I hadn't had the best interaction with or like the best perception of a lot of gamers in my past. Um, Frankly, I was scared of several of them and like even friends of mine who were like super into gaming, the ones that were like about shooting and violence and all that. Like, I'm not a fan. I don't like guns. I don't like violence. I get I understand that they have their place in like entertainment, quote unquote, but I don't know, just being the sensitive soul that I am, I don't stomach it well. I've lost friends to gun violence. I don't like it. Um, so I was really scared. I was like, I didn't know what game I was going to be in. And then um, my toxic ex was an avid gamer, did not like the kind of person he was. I did not like the kind of stuff that came out of his mouth, the way that he spoke and the way that people he played with spoke. So I was a little worried, frankly, like I was a little scared. And... um 
Yeah, but I took it anyway, just seeing like, okay, we'll see what happens. And I go into my first session. It's in the middle of production. So stakes are really high, but I'm excited. I meet the two guys that I had met during my callback. They're our, my directors and um, my main director, Pierce Atul, who is a wonderful human being. And I really think he's the person that also helped me decide to take the role because he was so kind, so patient, so gentle, like just good, good vibes. And I was like, if this dude's involved and he's like directing me, it can't be that bad of a game. Like, Pierce, I don't know if, if you're listening. I don't think I ever told you that, but you were a key part of why I said yes. Um, just the people I'd interact with in these small ways, you got to take whatever data you can and make your decision as best as you can based on that. And I had a good feeling. So um, Pierce said yes. Uh, or not Pierce said yes. I said yes. And re-met Pierce in my first session. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how this is going to go. And he finally makes the big reveal to me. And he's like, Minji, you're here. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for your patience. It was like, I was like, yeah, it's been months. I completely forgot, but I'm stoked. Let's do this. He's like, do you want to know what game you're in? I was like, yeah, let's tell me what's up. And he says, Cyberpunk 2077. And it completely fell flat on me because me being the ignorant noob, I didn't know what game that was. But it sounded vaguely familiar to me. So I was like, whoa, that's cool. But I know for a fact it fell flat. It was not like I knew what it was. I didn't know who was involved. If I was a cyberpunk fan, obviously this would have melted my brain because it's one of the biggest, most beloved games in the in freaking world. And I didn't get it. It didn't click at all. And it read, I'm not that good of an actor. I, I try to be a sincere person as best as I can when I'm in regular human interactions and not being paid to act. Um, so yeah, it didn't read. And I think Pierce caught on. He's like, I don't think she knows or cares what I just shared with her. Um, but we moved on and he's like, okay, well, like, do you want to see what your character looks like? Um, and then I was like, hell yeah, I want to see what she looks like. That'd be great. So they show me this glitchy kind of prototype looking thing of my character, Songbird. And she looks so badass. She's got this like pink hair, razor cut bob, like just so cool. Cyborg, like incredible. I was like, that's so badass. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm playing her. And in this short clip that they're showing me, Songbird walks up to a man and puts her hand on his face. And then that was the moment when I said, a familiar sentence, a sentence I had said months before in Paris when I was had my face stuck to a window when I was staring outside a gondola. I laughed again and I said, that looks like Keanu Reeves. I said the same freaking thing I said in Paris. And that's when Paris is like, it is. And that's when the dots connected and my brain exploded. And I was like, oh my God, is it that Keanu Reeves video game? I heard, I've like seen posts about that I'm not that out of the loop and I was like hold up my character she's touching his face I'm in a game with Keanu Reeves like what and that's when my brain imploded and it was just kind of it was all systems go from there so that's the way I um, manifested my role in cyberpunk I just knew. I saw Keanu Reeves when he was in his John Wick 4 glory, and I just understood that I was meant to play something opposite him. And and then I declared it on Instagram, and then it happened. 
So that's my story. (laughs) The funny thing is, that's not the first time I've said crazy stuff and it's happened. I've said many crazy things and they happen. So this only egged me on further. This has fueled my fire to the heavens. And I'm just going to keep saying the most ridiculous stuff because you never know. And there's part of me that's like, no, I know there's one of these things that's going to happen. So I'm just going to keep saying stuff that I want. And it's a reminder to you that your words are powerful. What you believe and what you think, even if it's just like in a humorous way, I actually think ideally in a humorous way where you take all the pressure off of like, oh my God, this has to happen. I have to be desperate for it. You just kind of give it room for it to to exist potentially, even as a joke, it can happen. Let me be living proof. And this is not the first or only incident. So yeah. Because then after that, I manifest, I mean, I didn't manifest like Idris Elba is part of this game and they knew that long before they told me, but I always dreamed of, I, I definitely joked at some point in my life and said, I want to be in something with that man. He's a very talented actor he is a dreamboat. Holy crap. And, and then it came true. And that didn't happen until many sessions in because I knew who this character Solomon Reed was because I kept getting explained to me every single session because my, my my brain had a hard time processing all this info. Um, but eventually I understood the story and I understood that Solomon Reed is like my mentor and there's all this drama between us. And then finally multiple sessions into my you know, many sessions of recording for Songbird, they finally are like, hey, Minji, do you want to hear Solomon? We finally have his lines recorded, some of his lines. You can hear him. You might recognize him. And I was like, yeah, lay it on me. Like, go. And like, I have my headphones on in my little booth by myself with Zoom. And Idris Elba's buttery voice comes on over my headphones. And I lost my mind. I had a bit of a creative artistic stroke if you will like I just what what where when why um I got Keanu Reeves and that was cool enough and now you're giving me Idris Elba what so yeah it was quite a journey um I'm still I'm still kind of like that really happened And the funny thing is also, not to take away from anything, but one of my reflections in light of that, it's been months since the game came out. I have been so lovingly welcomed into the gaming community. I've been so wonderfully surprised at, like straight up, not going to lie, I investigate, I asked several other voice actors. I have many friends who are seasoned, who are just superstars in the video game space. And, you know, they gave me proper warning. I was given, I asked, I was like, what is this going to be like? What happens? Like, what are the fans like? What do I do with this? Um, What if it gets popular? I had no idea. I didn't have any expectation of if it was going to be well-received. If you guys know Cyberpunk at all, the first game was a little bit of a disaster because of all the bugs. It basically promised all, like it had great story, had great characters and everything, but the game itself had all these bugs and it kept crashing. So it was a huge crash and burn at the beginning um, with Cyberpunk. And there are so many people that were pissed at how badly the game performed on a literal sense. Like not because the game itself sucked. It's like the software itself sucked. The game itself, the other part of the game itself sucked and they couldn't play it. Um, So again, I didn't know if there was going to be another crash and burn. I had an inkling just because in my sessions, the lines were so 
rich and so complicated. And I had, it was just fascinating to me to like witness myself in the recording, the story unfold. And I was like, this is going to be really good. And you guys have Keanu, you have Idris and not just them, like legends in the VO space, like Jeremy Lay, um, Gavin. I mean, the, the people that are part of cyberpunk, it was just they were so good. I got to hear their work through my headphones here and there because none of us recorded together. Um, and we're all like recording in tandem in parallel. So over time, I got to hear their performances. I was like, dude, this is really good. You know, there's just my spidey senses because I'm a snob sometimes. Not sometimes. In a lot of ways, I'm a snob. But I, I really gravitate and like excellent work. And I could just tell the amount of care they're putting into all this. This is excellent work. They These writers are really good. They are so on top of every single line. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of lines. And it was just wild to me how at any given line, at any given point, they could reference and just figure out where they were in the game. That to me speaks volumes of like people who are really committed to their craft, who really care about what they're creating. To me, that's like the foundation of creating something great. But I didn't know how the game was going to go. I asked my friends like, how's, what should I expect? Some of them did warn me that there could be some interesting fans and that there are things that they can do with like romancing characters and taking like they're, they're inappropriate things that can also happen and I was really as somebody who's legit like I've I've I'm a survivor of sexual abuse and like verbal emotional abuse and like I have a I have a hard past from my younger years like I don't I don't deal well with people violating me and disrespecting me and I was genuinely a bit worried and it it's it frightened me um that I was going to be exposed to something really triggering or possibly re-traumatizing in a brand new way that I didn't expect. Like it was, and I don't know if that was like a, um, me overthinking or whatever, but I think it's the internet y'all like there, it can get crazy. Right. Um, but I'm happy to report I've just received at least in terms of direct interaction, Twitter, Instagram, all that, the reviews, the, the articles, like everyone's just been so kind. It has been just a wild ride of encouragement and people sharing how deeply they're impacted by my performance and the character. And I don't know, I'm just marveling at it because it's such a, I didn't write those lines, but I just try to do her characters just like as much justice as I could. And meeting the writers, meeting the developers, the few that I did, I haven't even met many of them. I know that there's so many. Um, I only interacted with a handful of people, but just wanting to respect the game and do right by the world and and hold my own when I'm playing opposite Keanu and Idris. Like, I need to do my job well. And I think being in that zone and being surrounded and being really supported, to me, it further revealed like what I love even about filmmaking, which is how collaborative it is. Yes, I'm an actor. And yes, I'm doing an important part. You're kind of breathing the life through the emotion and the performance for sure. But I am obsessed and I love the creative storytelling process because there's so many other components that allow that to sing properly. The writing itself, the sound design, the people who designed her, her look, her costuming. I mean, just, she's gorgeous. Chromed out is the word. She's just like machinery. And there's this tragedy to her and her story and, um, 
I relate a lot to it and it made it so easy for me to just step in and pour my heart and soul into it. Again, shout out to Pierce because he made it so safe for me. When you are on edge and you're just performing nonstop and you have to be on your best and there's, you know, pressure's on because you need to do your best and the time's clock is ticking and, you know, everyone else is getting paid on based on, you know, if you drag, if you have to do 30 takes versus three takes, that adds up and everyone has to work harder or longer, more be more stressed out and things get thwarted if you don't do it well. Those are like a lot of the different balls that um, actors are juggling. And I was really facing it firsthand in this first time video game arena. And I, I really, really wanted to do a good job, my best job, the best work I could. Um, but I just realized how deeply those things are impacted by everybody else that I'm working with, the audio engineers, how quickly they're working through it. Um, it's just this crazy dance where you don't want to let there be too much pressure, but you don't want there to be no pressure. You want to have good direction. You need to have enough context, but then they need to make you feel safe so that you can be really vulnerable and get angry and wild and crazy and just sad and tragic and all these different versions of me. It's also like it came out because I was in such a safe space. So I just appreciate that so much. I learned so much. This was a crazy journey. And I wanted to share that with you guys because um, I'm still kind of just, yeah, my flabber is gasted. Is it or is it gasted? My gas is flabbered. No, it's my flabber is gasted. That's how I feel right now. And then also on top of that, just like life is very still normal. <laughs> so people have asked me, my wonderful friends and supporters have asked me like, how's everything after? And yeah, there's like increased attention and getting these incredible messages of grown grown adults like sharing to me that I've made them cry and that they've never cried before in 30 years plus gaming, which is so like such an honor. And one of my intentions as an actor, I said like, I want to, I want to make people laugh and I want to help them cry. That's what I said I wanted to do as a storyteller, whether that's an actor, writer, whatever. But just to have it confirmed from strangers on the internet, it's wild. And then also at the same time, um, still getting acne, still uh, have back pain, still have to, you know, help my grandma out and, and um, you know, do my laundry. So like there's still such a normal, normal reality that I'm still very much living where like yeah it's just funny it's funny that these big milestones happen and then also everything in life is still life you know and I love that I actually really like that um and I appreciate that and I don't know what's going to happen next year there's some cool things that I can't share yet um that are going to happen and I just have a gut feeling that next year is going to be drastically different than any year prior um, so I'm also just kind of reveling in the normalcy and I want to maintain as much normal as I can. Cause I do love my domestic downtime, you know, being able to sit at, at my table and just do my eyebrows. I don't know. Those things matter a lot to me. The little things always mean so much, but yeah, it's been a crazy ride. I'm so grateful and we'll see what happens. I'll keep you guys posted. That was a big thing. Um, and then the other big thing which is the polar opposite um, in terms of joyfulness is this year I lost a couple friends 
Um, but one specifically like impacted my life really deeply. And it was my friend from college, a girlfriend of mine. We went to college together and we lived together actually as young women, like straight out of college in our early 20s and really learned a lot of life together, experienced a lot of insanity together. And um, I was in her wedding. I was her bridesmaid and she lost her husband. And um, he passed away from cancer and it was aggressive. It was sudden. It was a complete tragic devastation. Like none of us thought it was actually going to happen. And we thought it was going to be okay. And so many things in terms of the way everything transpired there. But that really kind of altered everything for me this year in terms of um, the grief I felt in losing a friend and a friend that I treasure. It's, it's crazy just to me because I've met so I've met thousands and thousands of people in my lifetime thus far. And there are people that really do stick out and really leave a deeper impact. And you don't have to have spent a crazy amount of time with them to have built a deep connection and um, have known each other for years upon years and have spent hours upon hours together for them to leave a mark on your life. My friend Irene, who passed away, you know, years and we have that episode dedicated to her. She was one of those people to me. I didn't get to spend that many years with her, but the years that I did and the the ways that we connected and worked on, you know, filmmakers and representation, it deeply impacted me a lot. And when she was gone and suddenly taken, you know, from this earth, um, it it was a devastation. And then there's people that I, I might have known and when they passed away, it's, it's a sadness, but, it, you know, it doesn't kind of hit the same. And... Um, you know, I've dealt with my grief. I've lost family members, my grandparents. I only have one grandma left. And uh, obviously Jay, my, one of my best friends and someone that was a really complicated figure in my life since I was 10 years old, my first love. Like I've dealt with grief. And it's that crazy part of life where, you know, we're of an age and life has been absolutely insane. Um for all of us for several years, I just feel like we've just been on this big trauma train and the exhaustion that we've been accumulating and compounding over these years has been insane. It's been absolutely insane. So when Joseph passed away and again, as a complete shock because we really thought he was going to be all right and it was rapid, it was sudden, it was brutal. Um, and then being there for my friend who lost the love of her life, her soulmate. You know, I watched them get married. We called them Korean Barbie and Ken. And like Barbie was just out in theaters. I just like, it was so many things. It was just so gut-wrenching. And it, it has been devastating to watch my friend go through that. On top of like me losing a friend and somebody like, Joseph was to me somebody that I genuinely admired. I didn't get to spend a ton of time because I lived in LA and they were they lived up in the Bay Area. But, you know, I was in their wedding. I got to know him and just you could see how much he adored his wife. That alone, like, was so crazy to me because Gina and I had spent our crazy, you know, 20s together and dealt with different scenarios and different boys. I'm not going to call them men, but different boys in our life. And it was just he was different. He was different and to know how much she searched and like found the love of her life and that he 
being a genuinely kind-hearted, wonderful person be taken so young was, it just, it, it wrecked me. And um, their daughter, who was best friends with him, like they just were each other's best buddies. And she's just the most perfect, smart, bright, sweet little girl. And all of it, it was just, just a sucker punch to my soul. And to navigate that, to try to be there for my friend as best as I could, um, reconnecting with her in a lot of ways and navigating a lot of stuff internally for me, reliving my own losses again, um, just because death is such a mysterious thing and everyone has their different belief systems and the way that they cope and what different, you know, paradigms or stories or narratives that they believe in and have faith in. For me, it's been like a really topsy-turvy journey. Like I don't, I haven't had like certainty on what afterlife is. Um, you know, I've had my own issues with my faith where like, I don't, I don't go to church anymore. I haven't gone to church for quite some time. And there are a lot of different facets to all of this that really, really shook me um, on different levels, you know, on the very basic level of losing a friend and, and witnessing a life, a bright life, a bright person, a warm heart, a kind person um, who served his country, who's, who's there for his family to the umpteenth degree, just be gone all of a sudden. And, um, and then dealing with everything, everything involved with all of that and, and my own, my own history. It was a lot and it has been a lot. And, um, it's, it's just weird. And, and the crazy thing is that like, I'm certainly not the only person, especially right now that is dealing with grief of so many different kinds. And I share that, I share all these thoughts and feelings because, the main thing, the reason why I wanted to get back on the microphone and make sure that I, you know, said hi to all of you guys before the year is out is that I've really struggled with many aspects, including, you know, my mission in life, my purpose, um, my self-worth, if I'm deserving of love or being listened to. There's so many, you know, I'm a really analytical can be really critical person. So I think there's plenty of people who talk on a microphone or talk to the internet and aren't worth listening to. So different forms of imposter syndrome and wondering like, who am I to speak on anything? I am I doing any good in this world? Am I damaging people potentially like unknowingly? Just all these different questions, you know, um, from all the different versions of myself. But I felt really compelled in this newer version that's emerging out of all the stuff that's happened this year um, to really own this version of myself and to take stock of what's available to me, the opportunities, the privileges of just being alive and being healthy to not lose sight of how precious that is and to acknowledge the fear that I fe feel like truly to continue speaking on a microphone, to share my my innermost thoughts, um, to protect my innermost thoughts and not feel obligated to share everything and everything and anything. Um, and just to go for it, to be brave. I think that's been like an ongoing theme in my life. And grief, it, it takes a lot of courage to face. We stuff it away so much, you know, and um, 
because we don't want to feel negative feelings. And I do think that there's a lot of value in us managing those negative feelings. I don't, it's such a weird, murky place to be like drowning in it, to be consumed by it. And I have been consumed by my, my emotions, by my grief, by my sadness, by my anger many times over. So I know I'm very familiar with that. And at this age and at this point in my life, I think it actually adds to my hopefully wisdom to not want to go there all the time to prevent and have caution and protection over myself to not get lost in complete and utter despair. And it's freaking hard, you guys. Like, I don't have the answers. I just share this just to like be a space where if anybody is dealing with that, and I can't imagine many that don't have some kind of version of that, even if it's the despair that we're feeling at how the world is right now, like... There's so many people in this world that have lost their damn minds, truly. Like, it feels crazy to bring this up at this point in the conference, but here we are. But like, I'm sorry, but I I cannot, I, I don't care to be silent about what's happening in Gaza. Like, how can you not? Like... That amongst all the 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 dumpster fire that has been America. Like I, I'm speaking so much shit about America. I've said this before many times, many episodes. I speak shit because it's my family. It's my home. Like I'm upset with how things are going. It's not okay what's what's going on in this country with our leadership, with the hypocrisy, with the greed, with the lack of accountability, with the lack of action. Like I'm at this point just so embarrassed and disheartened by like the, the way that we as a nation, we as a as a society, American culture that used to be in some form a leader in the global space. I I just like take it take it away from us. We don't deserve it. We it's just been it's been going down it's been going down in a big dumpster fire for a while and it's just gotten so bad. I do not I there's nothing okay with what's happening in Gaza. There's nothing happening with Tens of thousands of people being killed, the rest of them being traumatized and and just, I don't know what the right word is, just like annihilated, if not physically, like having their lives taken, but just spiritually, their souls are being annihilated. And I don't understand how this is just happening where people are cheering it on or justifying it or saying that there's there's a valid reason or excuse of any kind for this kind of devastation to be happening. As a human being, it just, I don't understand. Like, I don't get it. I mean that, like, rhetorically, because I do get, like, I can, I have my own thoughts and, and feelings on, like, the soullessness that goes into making these kinds of decisions. The, the, I, 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 and to be clear also, I don't think governments represent all their people. I don't agree with what Israel's doing. Let me be clear. The Israeli government, I don't think all Israeli people, all Jewish people stand behind that. I don't think, like, I just don't. Because that would mean, like, America is like, we're all down for Trump. And we were not, clearly. The majority of us were not. It's just their systems and power plays and decisions that are made beyond our control. That doesn't mean that things do not have to happen with the absolute swiftness to handle this and, like, make it stop annihilating more people. I just don't understand. We have so many examples at this point and so many ways for these stories and these facts to be proliferated and understand, like understood and analyzed to know that this is not the way that you arrive at at peace, at, at some sort of 
acceptable coexistence where we're not just like bombing the shit out of each other and and devastating everything and everyone around us with impunity. I don't, it just does not compute. The math ain't mathin'. So, I mean, I just need to say that that's been on my heart. I don't know how to articulate. There's people getting blacklisted and and being equated to being anti-Semitic by saying that they don't think that tens of thousands of innocent Gazans, Gaza residents like civilians should be killed. That doesn't that's that that math ain't math either. That does not equal anything. That is, I don't believe that that's anti-Semitic. I don't support Hamas. I don't think that they they are ones to support. And saying that God. That people in Gaza need to not be killed doesn't mean that people are supporting Hamas. I don't know where people are are deriving. This is like the most illogical, nonsensical myths, untruths that are being thrown around. And I, for one, am just blown away. It doesn't, it does not make sense to me. It's just illogical. Saying one thing does not mean that you're saying another. And I wish people would like... I'm saying this as a really emotional person, somebody who cares deeply about a lot of different things, to step back from those feelings, to integrate the 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 negative feelings that we're feeling, to step back and look at things with clear eyes. It takes a lot of work to do that. I'm not saying it's easy because everything is so heightened. The stakes are tr- incredibly high. The devastation is very real. And our brains are wired to like compute things in a certain way. Guilty party right here of that. I'm not saying I'm like some mastermind knower of all things. But I've dealt with terrible things too. I've been faced with them. I've been re-traumatized and triggered even to this very day. No lie. Like things are hard. Life is hard. And we have to continue to learn how to do hard things. And that may include stepping back and evaluating, questioning our own biases our own potentially incorrectness. And honestly, that's, I think at this point, all I want to say about that, but there's been so much, you know, on top of all the other various things, like that's a huge, huge kind of global disaster that's happening. But on top of the different things that just our economy, like people are struggling financially. It's it's been a tough year. Like it's it's been a tough four years. It's been a tough lifetime and for all my fellow millennials out there like I love you guys so much and I'm we have been through it we have been through it and anyone who tries to tell us otherwise or that we're whining or whatever they they go seriously go f yourself like that's the truth this is the newer version of me that needs to speak what's on my heart truthfully and not be so oh yeah well everybody like yeah I, I have lots of compassion tons of compassion And I have compassion for my own friends and my own generation who is like doing our freaking best to stay afloat, to try to find love and companionship and stability in a very unstable, frightening, traumatizing world. We deserve to have that acknowledged. It is our responsibility to figure out what to do with that. It doesn't change that. But we also deserve to just be looked at and seen and being like, this has been a shit show. And I'm so sorry that we've had to deal with this. That being said, we still have to hold the line and we still have to figure it out. That goes to all of us, not just the millennials, to Gen Z. Like, I feel so sorry to my like baby brothers and sisters behind us dealing with all of this, to my nieces and nephews. Like, it's madness. So 
that's why I wanted to talk to you guys. I wanted to say all this. And um, I didn't think I was going to say all this, but here we are. There's been so much that's transpiring. There's so many decisions that we're making with this like super crazy, uncertain, unstable world ahead of us with AI. Like honestly, like my industry has been through the freaking ringer and people that have been fighting the strikes and like picketing and arguing and trying to understand contracts and like get our heads wrapped around this technology that so few of us so few of us actually comprehend and even the ones that are making it and do comprehend it don't even fully understand they have no way to actually predict what the world's going to be like it, it it is a scary moment and i think it's worth acknowledging not because i'm trying to make things doomsday and like scare us and further like stoke that fire i just think there's no way for us to like move forward without acknowledging what is what is is what it is. And there's still so much good. There's still so much good. I have been able to connect with people all over the world because of this one video game role that I've done and and experienced some of the most astounding, most moving, emotional conversations that I never knew I was going to have. That's happening in the midst of all of this, all this tragedy and this sadness. I, Kenji and I successfully finished Ashima, this project that he's been working on for 10 years that we've navigated as ex-partners. Like we finished it, an indie documentary that took 10 years to make that I've been part of for five years. And like the amount of effort that I can't even put into words that it required for us to arrive at that destination, for it to be finished, for us to be proud of it, for the people that collaborated with us on it that contributed to it that made it such a beautiful film have a world premiere in new york city in manhattan at doc nyc film festival that also happened in in november and it also took me on a different roller coaster in my life to like come to terms with certain chapters closing and to wonder what the heck's going to happen from here because now this film is finished but it's not like the journey isn't done a film is like another entity it has a life of its own and Navigating that's going to be its own roller coaster, you know, like, and there's so many things on top of like, I'm getting older still and like figuring out love and life and loving myself and all of that. Like it's, it's still going on, you know, so it's all just crazy. And, you know, I've gotten feedback from different listeners who find some kind of solace and not being alone, like you're not alone. I know I'm not alone. I feel alone sometimes. I I struggle with, even with as much love as I'm surrounded by, even with that, it's, it's kind of like confounding how I do have this, these moments of like extreme loneliness and wondering because I'm like, I come up with all these different stories in my head. I'm like, well, I'm loved by these people, but they have spouses and they have children and, or, you know, whatever, like, I don't know. Just the brain is crazy, y'all. She crazy. Like she comes up with all kinds of reasons and excuses and like, oh, but I'd be a burden if blah, 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 blah. I don't know. That's just like being Korean and being female. But man, she messes with me. As I imagine, yours might mess with you. And as I imagine, there's all this outside stimuli that's also creating an environment where it feels unsafe and unstable and we are sensitive creatures we're resilient and we're strong as hell but we're also sensitive 
And that sensitivity serves us. It, it does serve us because we need to be aware of like danger and what's at stake. I think we just really need to learn how to continue to be there for each other. Like the loneliness epidemic that's happening and just the way this world is kind of is rolling. It's just very like, it's just stressful. It's so freaking stressful. Um, on top of being really beautiful and meaningful and precious and worth saving, somehow I'm still there. I joke all the time. And I just talked earlier about how to watch my words and like watch what I joke about. I'm like, let's just control alt delete this. Like, let's just reboot. I don't care. Hard reset. This is trash. We need to just, I'm done. I'm not making light of like, I, I say those jokes and I like, in essence, mean them, but like, I'm not actually talking about actually burning it all to the ground. I still believe that we need to protect and preserve. That means ourselves. That means each other. That means we need to, you know, share the load. I, I've definitely learned that this year of like how to be better about asking for help. I was drowning in sadness and stress at certain points it's it was like a waterfall effect cascading like I wasn't I was stressed and sad and like upset in different ways at so many different points where like yeah I couldn't work because my voice is my work and acting and being present and being creative and getting productivity done like and I if I'm like that I can easily imagine like how everybody else and far more than me like I live a I'm very lucky to live the life that I live in. I know that there's people that are have way more responsibilities than I do and have higher stakes than I do that are more stressed and struggling even harder. And like my heart just breaks for them because if I was that incapacitated with what was going on in my life, I know I'm not the only one and I know I'm not the worst. You know what I mean? So my brain always goes to like, what can we do to help? What can we do to... um conserve our energy or to create energy and revitalize our energy? How do we have self-care? How do we, you know, grit our teeth at certain times and just get through it? There's times where you like, we don't feel like doing anything, but we still have to, you know what I mean? And weirdly, like there's just so many examples of where when I grit my teeth and just dealt, took care of stuff, it like re-energized me. It actually brought me to my senses a bit and it invigorated hope and happiness in me when I had none, when I was depleted. That's the weird thing of like, you know, fake it till you make it. Sometimes like, yeah, you just go through the motions and doing the motions is the thing that even when you don't feel like it, paradoxically, it makes you feel like it, you know? So I'm just here to like put my thoughts in the universe, all to encourage you guys and myself to close out this year as best as you can with as much gratitude as you can, with as much hope as you can, as we can, because it goes a long way. And that's the most vital thing. I think once we lose that, it's, and it, trust me when I say it, I get it when you feel like you have none left. In which case, just disengage. I'm trying to get offline more. I've been going to the library more. I borrowed five books today. I still scroll, but I'm scrolling. I'm offsetting. You know what I mean? That's like a strategy. So we're all, we're all doing our best. I know you're doing your best. I know it's hard. And just know that I love you. I'm cheering for you. 
I want you to succeed. I want us to succeed. I want us to be safe. I want us to have joy and things to look forward to. I want us to build things instead of tearing everything down. I want us to have a voice. I want people who have had injustice born upon them be able to get their justice. I want the people that have had no voice find their voice and join forces with others to elevate and amplify those voices. There's much to be done. And like right now, you know, biologically speaking, we're not supposed to be doing much in the wintertime. It is time for a bit of a hibernation. So do get your rest. And I say that rest serves its purpose so that we can get back on our feet again. Y'all have heard if you've been listening to me, this is nothing new, but I'm saying it from this point, from this version of me with all the love in my heart, take your rest and then get back to it. Whatever that is. You don't have to do everything, but we can do something. And let me know, you know, if there's something I can manageably do to help. I'm also working on my boundaries so I can do what's manageable, not overextend so I die. (laughs) So yeah, that's this episode. That's the holiday episode. That's the end, wrapping up 2023, which ended up being so ridiculously different than I thought it was going to be. It's so, this was not what I thought. But here we are. I got some of the best moments of my life. Just, I will I will hold on to those. And I went through some of the worst moments of my life thus far this year. And I'll learn from those. Hopefully I'll let it go as much as I can. And keep going. 2024. It's an important year. Every year is an important year, but you know, there's like really important years. There's a lot going on, guys. I hope we pay attention. Gird your loins as a brilliant writer gave us in the in the cinematic treasure that is Devil Wears Prada. Stanley Tucci, you are a national treasure and thank you for delivering that line with such gusto cuz that's my meme. I think that's my meme right now for 2024. Gird your loins. Miranda Priestley, she's coming. I think it's just like safe to say we shouldn't expect everything to be roses. It's not going to be. That's fine. Like to me, like, okay, don't blindside me. You know what I mean? Just keep it real. I'm not going to expect it to be all like daisies and stuff. And then like, you know what I'm saying? Then I will gird my loins. So let's do that. I didn't think that's how I was going to end this podcast. But here we are. There will be more updates. There will be more episodes. I'm not giving up on this freaking show. I I love it too much. I love you guys too much. I don't want um, it to end. It will take more work. I'll have to figure it out. And um, there will be more guests. And yeah. Also, I want to say quickly to to, uh, besides rest in peace to Joseph Kim. You are a wonderful man, wonderful person. You are missed. You are loved. And um, I'll do my best to be a good auntie, good emo to to baby girl and to be there for your wife, who's my girlfriend and my girl. And we'll figure out life together. She's there in good hands, as best as hands can be. I will see to it. And also rest in peace to my friend, Rosalind Cobarubias, who passed away as well this year and um, not long ago. And to all the many that have passed this year, there's been a lot of loss 
And I'm just sending my heart out to all the people who've been grieving and um, friends of mine who have lost family members. Like it's continues. It continues to be what it is. You know, it's, it's hard. And I hope that's my call to action for everybody. You know, if we're lucky enough to be healthy and thriving as much as we can be right now is to be as kind and compassionate. That is, it is a, a, an action item. It is a necessity. We need to, that is our part that we all play. Be kind to people. You have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea what they're going through. Just the same way no one has a real idea of what you're going through. It's the same. Treat other people how you want to be treated. Please. Please and thank you. Love, Minji. Thank you to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you to my ride or die, Juliana Deer, for being my social media manager. Thank you to all of you guys, my Patreon patrons. Holy crap, you guys have like still just been standing by me. Even in my absence, I have so much gratitude for you guys. And if you want to guys, if you want to find more things out about me, the podcast, all the links will be in the description. I'll, I won't bore you anymore here. Just know that I love you. It's the holiday seasons. Seasons. It's the holiday season. And we're all doing the best we can. I love you so much. Be good to yourselves. Be good to others. I'll talk to you soon. I'll be back. I promise. I'll be back. Bye. Gotta make a power move. Hey, deep in the darkest dungeons. I'm digging up my own room. Hey, hey, hands on the plow. Hands on the plow. Keep my head down. Keep my head down. Sweat on my brow. Sweat on my brow. Don't make a sound. Hi, I'm Charlene Kay. I'm a musician, songwriter, and guitarist. Growing up, I loved music. Whether it was pop, acoustic, emo, I ate it all up. But as a Chinese-American kid living in Scottsdale, Arizona, I also felt isolated, never really seeing artists who looked like me or shared my experiences. So after years of performing on stages all over the world, I wanted to create a space to highlight the amazing Asian musicians who I knew were out there, just not always getting played on the radio. That's why I started Golden Hour, a podcast where Asian singers, songwriters, instrumentalists, and music producers share their personal stories. And it's a space for you to discover your new favorite artist. Listen to Golden Hour with me, Charlene Kay, wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. <laughs>